Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. We beat the Sixers. I'm joined by Brendan and Tim. It's me, Adam Taylor, part of Celtics Blog. You're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast. Guys, what a game. I feel sorry for Al Horford. He got all the smoke in that matchup. Yeah, that that dunk especially where he uh, Tatum blew by, um, blew by Simmons in coverage and just yammed right on him. Whew, that was painful. It was gorgeous. Yeah, uh, Al was like, a step slow to that rotation. It was kind of his fault. It wasn't even just Tatum being a beast, which I mean he was, but Al was uh Al takes a little bit of fault for that one. But uh yeah, I mean he was matched up against Jalen Brown. And as good of a defender Al is, he's definitely not fast enough to keep up with that guy. They were going at him all the way through the game and they were he was like um I mean I'm gonna be releasing an article on this because it was so important in part of the matchup. They were focusing on him as a weak link during that game. They were putting him out to the perimeter and just blowing by him at any given opportunity. He does look slower. He looks a lot slower. I don't I don't know if it's just been gradual or I, I mean I felt like it was more noticeable last year too, but he's flat footed on defense at times. And for a team like the Celtics, which now in this matchup because they didn't have Canner, they went small. They kind of killed him with the small ball more than I expected, especially the rebounding numbers. I'll get into that a little bit later, but rebounding was like a huge factor in this game. Yeah, and I think like the drop coverage that Philly was doing, for some reason they were really far back on that, and Jalen and Jason were just pulling it. And there was one play specifically where like Horford didn't even put his hands up to contest sometimes. Like he doesn't seem as engaged because like, I'm the same way with you, Tim, where it's like he looks a step slower, but at the same time, when I think about it, like it's not like he was fast ever necessarily, you know, like I guess sneakily, but I don't know if the speed is necessarily the issue. Like at times he just doesn't even look engaged, but yeah, you mentioned rebounding and I think just down low in general, the Celtics really were able to take advantage of this Philly team, which is so unexpected with the centers being injured and you're going against one of the biggest teams in the NBA. Yeah, so when they, another thing I wanted to point out with Horford as well was, and it's that effort again that you're mentioning, is there were times where you literally see him step out of the way to allow that drive to happen. It's not like he was in foul trouble, because if he was, then it becomes a little bit more understandable. But there were times where there's a couple of drives from Brown and Tatum that I can picture in my head now, where Horford basically moves his shoulder out of the way and doesn't contest at all. Now, I don't know whether that's because he was back in the TD and he felt like all of a sudden he was on playing for the Celtics again. But the, the, the lack of effort from him is something that we weren't used to seeing last year. I think it could be not like knowing what his role is. You know, I, I think that that could be a serious issue. It does seem to feel like a scheme issue. I don't know how frequently they can play him and Embiid at the same time on the floor. It just seems because how they're trying to play and how they need spacing. It just seems like they're not using him in the right way. And maybe that's why he feels hesitant, both in offense and defense, but he had a really rough game. And I, I was surprised looking at the rebounding numbers overall. This is the first game 
out of the four games we played against Philly, this is the first time that we've kept it within 10 rebounds. We still lost the rebound battle, but I mean, some of the other rebound battles, the first game to open off the season was we lost the rebound battle 62 to 41. This is the first time we've, it was only 47 to 42. Yeah. So just the way that they rebounded and defended against them is just, it made all the difference. It's a completely different team. Grant Williams done a great job on the board. So did uh, Gordon Hayward, to be fair. Hayward had nine. Williams had... Dun, 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 dun. I've got it in my hand right now. Can't find his name anywhere. He only had three, but I'm pretty sure that he, two of those were offensive, right? All three were offensive. He had three offensive boards, you know, making up for Canton not being there. But Williams had himself a game. I thought he played great off-ball. He was sealing guys when he was on offense. He's slowly working his way up into a really good rotational spot. The one thing I do want to say as a counterpoint to what Brendan said with maybe it's his not knowing um, Horford not knowing his role is that your role on defense is if someone's driving at the hoop, you get in the way, you put your hands up, you make it tough. You do not walk, step out of the, the driving lane. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like he did, wasn't doing the fundamentals that Horford is really known for. So I, I think that's that's a totally fair counter. Yeah, um, I mean, that's just like the basics, right? If somebody's driving at you, stand still, put your hands up and contest the shot. Right. Yeah, and it's just, it's weird. I mean, even like Embiid in this one, I didn't think had quite the impact. There was a little stretch, I want to say, at the start of the second quarter, um, where they just kept posting up with Embiid. And the Celtics were doing a really good job of doubling uh, after like his second, third dribble, really, when he went into a move after just uh, backing down a little bit. But it was successful for Philly for a little while there. He kept getting to the line like Embiid does so well. And, and they just kind of went away from it. And I thought they did the same thing with like, they had a nice stretch where Horford was the big and Embiid was sitting and Simmons was just driving nonstop. And they just, I felt like they went away from what was working for them. So a point that got pointed out to me, that's quite cool. A point that got pointed out was that (laughs) Tice was beating Joel Embiid to his spots every time. So Tice was in a defensive position exactly where, Embiid would want to be receiving the ball. So that was forcing Embiid to catch the ball four or five steps further back than where he usually likes to have it, which was then meaning he had to either dribble or hand off again. And when he did try and drive, he was getting pickpocketed, which led to him becoming a little bit more passive because he wasn't able to get the ball as close to the block as he wanted to. So, I mean, credit goes to Tyce there. He read the scouting report and he was cutting off the, the positional ability of Embiid just by getting there first. Also, Embiid's hand being injured, that must have played a considerably large part in his performance, I'd imagine. It seemed like he's favoring it a lot. That's the one thing I would say to Embiid's credit. I mean, he was 1 for 11 from the field, so Tice clearly was defending him very well. Um, As you said, Adam, they were definitely trying to beat him to his spot, so he wasn't able to get as settled as he'd like to. He only had five rebounds, too, and not a single member of Philly's starting five had a positive plus minus. Um, And that just goes to show the Celtics were playing their best all-around basketball. Um, I also do want to give a shout-out to Gordon Hayward, too. Um, As you said before, with the 20, uh, he was a plus 22 with those nine boards. And even though he was having such a rough shooting night where he was one for 11, he still was doing stuff all around that helped keep the offense moving. Yeah, Adam, I saw you uh, getting into a little bit on Twitter with someone about this. <laughs> I saw a message that got deleted pretty quickly after. 
Yeah, so obviously I don't want to be um, getting into Twitter wars with people. He annoyed me. I responded quite heatedly, so I deleted it and then responded with a more full-tight response. Basically, the premise of this was I'd released a tweet saying, don't let the stat line fool you. Haywood's off-ball movement was exemplary at times in that game, which it was. He was opening up lanes just by moving and cutting, which was allowing guys like Tatum and Brown to drive because they had the hot hands. I had an unfavorable response saying, he allowed a layup, so he couldn't have had a good game, which to me is ludicrous because Marcus Smart had a few bad plays, especially early on. Tice lost his man a few times. Multiple, you're never going to stay fully focused for the full 48 minutes. It's not going to happen. So I let him know. And then, you know, in the end, it turns out that he was saying that I was favoring non-statistically measured plays more than I was favoring statistically measured plays. Which okay, <laughs> if you listen, if you've ever listened to this podcast, if you've ever followed my tweets, I try and be fair between the both. You can't base your basketball outlook on solely on stats because then you're only getting half of the story. But you can't do that. You can't base your basketball outlook on the eye test without having stats to back it up. They go hand in hand. Which leads me to my point. Haywood was fantastic last night. <laughs> um, just because he didn't get on the score sheet much, he, he does struggle with Philly's physicality. He's struggled most times he's played them in a Celtic uniform this year. What he does do well, as I've mentioned, is he facilitates for others. He opens driving lanes by coming off of pin downs, by driving hard baseline. And then when he is spotting up, a defender has to be somewhere in his vicinity because he's always a threat to pull up or drive. So just having him on the floor can make it a net positive, especially with how he's been playing throughout the uh, the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's definitely a positive. You know, I, I don't think that's really a debate necessarily. And I think there's also something to be said for he feels like a guy that is uh, willingly sacrificed, like almost like his personality is just to let the other guys uh, take over when they – have the ability to like we know that Jalen and Jason do and yeah one of ten isn't nice but I thought that he got some unfriendly roles he got good looks um, he's one of if not the best playmaker on the team at times uh, in regards to passing for others and he just does everything within the flow of the offense so like you said there's the little things but he also just doesn't do too much which I think is an underrated aspect it's huge for this team with how many players they've got that need the ball uh, and I will also give credit for Marcus Smart too. Um, he was five for eight from the field, and I've kind of been giving him some flack as of late in terms of how many shots he takes. Um, so it, just seeing how this team moves the ball around, everyone's taking smart looks, and Gordon Hayward should definitely be credited, as you said, Brendan. Uh, I don't see him ever really making bad decisions with the basketball. You don't see him taking ill-advised shots. Uh, none of the shots I've really seen him take as of late have been bad looks. It's always always making like the first thought, best thought decision with the basketball is huge for this team. And just controlling the possession the way they did against Philly. This is one of the first times I've seen it this season for against a playoff team was they held them under 20 points for two quarters. I'm still wondering how the hell you saw that tweet so fast. I don't know. I just happen to be on Twitter, man. You got it's my notifications this. turned on, huh? I don't actually. You know, I know you have mine though. So yeah, I'm should. turning them off right now. <laughs> <laughs> like that's insulting, dude. Um, yeah, you need to drop them notifications on. I want a screenshot sent to my WhatsApp shortly. Sure, sure, sure. 
I'm serious. Um, <laughs> you know, okay, we're giving out little shout-outs here. I thought Shemi played great in this one, actually. Um, Shemi thought. Yeah, he was in the right position a lot, and especially down low. I think that he really showed off the uh, the combat muscles in this one. So I got, sent, like um, I got sent a nickname earlier called the Bash Brothers because of how much that um, Brad is currently favoring the Shemi Grant-Williams duo coming off the bench. And it's true, dude. Those two have played quite regularly together coming off. The defense that they provide is awesome. And Semi's shooting over the last, what, three to four weeks now has been been cash from the corner three, dude. Yeah, and we know that he's able to play some defense, so he's knocking down that shot. Um, it's definitely definitely great to see from him. If we're giving out shout-outs, then I want to give out a shout-out to Brad Wanamaker for making a dunk and then getting teed up straight after it. Such a stupid tech. This is the second time I've seen that. It's like the second time I've seen it recently where a Celtics player has gotten a stare down and then immediately teed up right after. I don't understand why the league does that because stars do it all the time and it never, they never get teed up for it. The only time I've seen it recently where it started was if you want to say Jalen Brown's a star, he got teed up for a dunk that he had on LeBron. Uh, I just don't get it. I don't understand why the league calls that. It I feel like, like the softest tech, man. It, yeah, like, I feel like Joel Embiid does that after layups. Like, what exactly. is the issue? <laughs> I think it's like, uh, no, you can't stare him down because now he's going to do it to you and stare you down and Marcus Smart's going to headbutt somebody. That sounds like a great time. (laughs) Like, I don't see the problem here. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, I'm all for it. WWE NBA, I'm down. But seriously, it's a really soft tech. I did think it was quite funny that it was Brad Wanamaker who was staring down Embiid. Like, dude, you got one dunk probably in the last eight weeks. It just happened to be on Embiid. Uh, it was nice, though. It was a really nice dunk, but I did feel like he baited. He didn't even, like, really dunk on him. Yeah, like... No, it was like a, cha- was was like a chase open down. dunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he slowed down as well. He slowed down before he dunked to let Embiid catch up. Did you see that? If you watch right. it, he puts the brakes on a little bit, and I'm like, what are you doing? Because if you get blocked now, that's you done, dude. NBA Twitter is going to ridicule you for months. Just drop the dunk. Uh, it was a soft tee, but I just thought it was silly because if that's the way the league are reacting to these, then what's the point in dunking on a guy when you're going to give up one of those points in the tech? Hmm. <laughs> Nobody, agrees with you there. Nobody agrees with me Nobody agrees No, no, I mean, I, no, I, I don't think that's... I, I think you're making a fair point. I don't see the sense in... I guess it takes away from emphatic dunks. Like you can't go ahead and just have this high energy, get the crowd into a dunk, and then you make an in the heat of the moment reaction to another player and be like, "What's up?" And then you immediately get hit with the tech. Uh, it definitely slows the game down. It wasn't really necessary. It's just, I don't know, it ruins a cool moment in the game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it was it was kind of whatever. It was soft. I guess it was a nice play from Wanamaker. But even in this one, I mean, I think he's done. He did a decent job playing some defense, running a little bit of offense at times, and shot looked okay. Uh, I mean, 15 points is, is definitely nice, and there's two steals in there as well. But, I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were clearly the highlight of this. Like, we gave out our little shout-outs, but – Jalen and Jason were ridiculous. Like, they took turns. Tatum felt like he did it at first. And then when he sort of slowed down a little bit, Jalen started to. And, like, 
it was it was highlight real place. It wasn't even like little things necessarily. They were it, it was the handles were ridiculous from both of these guys. I don't remember where I saw it, but I definitely saw it saying it's crazy to think that Jalen Brown misses out on an All Star game and then might fight his way into an opportunity to be All NBA at the end of the year. Ooh. That's a really good point too. I hope he gets that, man. I really don't like the way the players have been reacting to all the news about the All-Star game. I understand that it impacts their pay, and for that I sympathize, but the way that agents and players have been handling it the past few days has just been a disgrace. Zach Levine's response was quite salty. I enjoyed watching that. I think I've watched that three or four times. They've got people upset about not making the Rising Stars game, man. (laughs) So rising NBA stars to, yeah, did you hear what he said too? Yeah. Tell the so NBA to buy me, bro. <laughs> yeah. Did you see this, Adam? Jackson Hayes? No, I didn't see this. Tell me. Oh tell me. my oh, god. You gotta look it up. Yeah, we can't even say it on here, dude. I'll have to send it to you after. Is it that bad? Yeah. Oh, this is fantastic. He, he just told uh, the NBA to do something to his genitals. Okay, so what you need to do is after you send me the screenshot of you turning my notifications on. <laughs> Send me that. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't be salty, dude, man. We turned them on for each other. Obviously, you turned mine off at some point, and this is going to be a theme on the next few podcasts until you turn it back on. <laughs> I'm even going to start like a, a whole Twitter thing where I get listeners here to just tweet at you until you turn the notifications on. It's insulting at this point. <laughs> so, uh, basketball. Uh, yeah, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, no, Jalen Brown was fantastic. I thought that certain times in the game he looked unplayable. Like He was just driving through guys. And the one thing I liked about both him and Tatum were they were, yeah, they were doing highlight stuff as well, but they were scoring on all three levels. And I'm a big fan of that. If, if you can showcase your scoring ability from a dribble drive to a jump shot to a pull-up, curling off a screen, and you can do all of that against one of the best teams in the league, air quotes, best teams in the league, (laughs) then that's only going to bode well moving forward, especially now because I feel like if they'd lost this game against Philly and then they'd matched up with them in the the playoffs, there was going to be a psychological advantage to Philly. With the way that they found holes and the way that they changed the way they played quite dramatically, they were doing more dribble drive penetration, they were focusing on pulling Al Horford out and then just blowing by him. I feel like the psychological advantage now is kind of even, even though a little bit towards Boston because Philly can't hold a torch to these guys in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, like not having Josh Richardson, I think, is a bigger deal to them than the Celtics not having um, Kimball Walker because Josh, here. Josh, here. Josh Richardson, my guy. And it's interesting, actually, they're the ones that match up against each other. So I guess you could say it's somewhat even. But to me, like Josh Richardson is a guy that could have slowed down Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in this one. And I guess like if Ben Simmons can't, um, I mean, he's definitely the best perimeter defender on that team. But having one other good uh, perimeter defender, I think, would have been a big deal for Philadelphia in this one. Yeah, that's where you start relying on Gordon Hayward to actually have a decent game because th- there's enough weapons offensively on the Celtics team to be able to cope with Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons shutting down two guys, especially if Al Horford's having a game like the, like he was last night. It, it is a good point to make, though. I mean, who who goes off if Josh Richardson shuts down one of the guys? They all feed off each other. So say he shuts down Kemba, that's okay. 
you've still got Jaden and Jason, but if he switches on to one of those two guys, it beca- it does become quite, it does change the dynamic of the game, especially if Embiid's hand wasn't injured as well. I think it definitely impacted his game as well. I was going to mention Josh Richardson earlier too. I mean, he's still out. I think he got called Josh out for two. Josh Richardson. <laughs> what's, what's up with that, Adam? That's the Richardson thing. Is yeah, what, what's, what's the joke here? Just not a fan of Josh Richardson. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, he, he's good news. If you're not a fan, he's going to be out for about two or three weeks. So, uh, with I believe a hamstring sprain, but not having him in there was definitely impactful for the Celtics. Uh, also, not having Kemba there on our side of the ball it definitely impacts it too. I wouldn't say it's a wash just because I think Kemba is the guy that you can go to in crunch time to get buckets, but they didn't need it this game at all. And you see, that's a say, point, though. Like, sorry yeah. to cut you, but no, that's yeah. a point. I mean, that's part of the reason Kemba came to Boston, right? Because he wants to prove he's the guy that you can go to go to in crunch time and get buckets. He's been doing it, but never been doing it at an elite level under the pressure of the playoff lights. I would kind of say that I'd rather have Jason take the last shot, though. Me too. Me too. He's but the I guess guy on the team. There is something to having two of them, though. You know, like because it's a one clutch, a one b thing, right? Clutch isn't. Uh, the la- just the last possession, like I said there, you know, it's the last five minutes of a game and being able to have two different guys that can do it completely on your own, you know, and if obviously there's other guys that if the ball gets swung to them, they'll be able to do it at times too. But yeah, those guys, I mean, I'm 100% confident in either one of them. I have a preference of Tatum, but it is a luxury to have two of them for sure. Did you see that ESPN, ES, ESP, ESPN comparison between Tatum and Kobe? Yeah, is it a matter of clutch things or I think it was an older clip, right? No, so this was like um statistics. Um Kobe's Verger against Tatum, what Tatum's doing this year. And then it was showing you like um how Kobe used to do his pull up jumpers, his fadeaway jumpers, and then how Tatum does and how their form's so similar and their numbers are close to being identical. And so they were just using that. Obviously it was a bit of a tribute to Kobe, and then they let Tatum talk about Kobe's impact on Tatum's game. And then they used all of that to tie into it and be like, Tatum's the second coming of Kobe, basically. Well, and Kobe is the second coming of Michael Jordan. So Jason Tatum is literally Michael Jordan. I'm I not think saying that's Jason the point. Tatum. No, 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 no. That is, that is what we're saying. That's I'm not the saying point Tatum's Jordan, but have you ever oh, seen Jordan and Tatum something. in the same room? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's the Batman. We haven't, but I bet you someone has. Somewhere. Well, no, we all have actually when he done that photo in the summer when he signed with Team Jordan. Oh, the joke's Edit dead. that part out. Edit that part out. No, it's staying. It's staying. The joke's dead. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> right, we're going to go to break because this is descending into chaos. And when we're back, <laughs> we'll t- I want to talk. When we're back, I want to talk about how when they ran the ball, ran when Philly ran the game through Tobias Harris, things started looking a lot better for them. So we'll be back shortly. So when Philly ran the ball through Tobias Harris, the game started looking a lot better for them. Turnover, they'd done it mainly in the second half of the game. Turnovers decreased massively for them. They pulled themselves back into game at points. And it was quite shocking. I never really thought of Harris as a playmaker as such, but he 
when they ran it through him, they looked like a much more dangerous team. Did either of you guys notice that happening? Yeah, for sure. I think it just has to do with his shooting in terms of what they have on their roster. He's one of the guys who can actually create for himself and get a shot off and can also play off the ball too. It's interesting. I didn't notice that actually. Um, I, I just thought that, like I said, I thought they went away from, maybe I just thought that what Simmons was doing uh, when he was aggressively driving and the other guys were cutting was working really well. And same with the Embiid post-ups. And I think I was more so when I saw something happen with Tobias, it was more of why um, were they going away from what I thought their two main guys were. I think they were trying to get Tobias Harris going, but because of the speed of the Celtics in this particular game, I think you're right, Brendan. They should have tried to go up more post-ups. I think they should have tried to get Embiid more in the post. That's where he got a majority of his free throws. He was 9 for 9 from the line. You know, if you're not able to go ahead and get threes, you might as well try and see if you can get anything at the free throw line to try and make up for some buckets there. But I think they were really trying to get the ball moving, and it just – nothing seemed to be going right. They shot terrible from three this whole game, and they also shot terrible from the field. They were under 40% from the field and almost 22% from three. It wasn't a great shooting night for the Celtics beyond the arc either, but they took care of the ball. You know, I just – I think with Philly, it just – they don't have that spacing. They don't have what they need in terms of ball movement and being able to create. So I've got two points I want to make from that. The first one being that when they did get Embiid in the post, he was getting blitzed rapidly. There were hard traps being set on Embiid. Sometimes it was ending in a foul. Other times it was ending in a strip. That along with Tice beating him to his spots is primarily how they managed to contain Embiid down low. I think they've done a great job of that early to the point where it was discouraging for him to do it further into the game. And then the second point you made about the spacing, JJ Redick is a huge miss for that team at the moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Korkmaz is like their only shooter that they have, really. Um, And that's just not going to be enough for them. They're a team that really needs to make some sort of move at the deadline here, like a Reggie Bullock or... You know, something something with a little bit of shooting. It's not that difficult to get that and the space in this team lacks. And, I mean, the whole – I know this is kind of overblown, but I, I agree with it. I mean, the Simmons and Bede, I, they they work together, but they don't complement each other. I don't think they bring the best out of each other. And having to play them separately so much is just – they have a really interesting dynamic going on in Philadelphia with a lot to figure out. And I am not noticing progress in that. No, I mean, it's great that they've drafted both of those guys and they've both ended up being like premier talents in the league. But I agree. I feel like one of those two guys needs to be moved in order to unlock both of their potentials. Woj Woj said the other day that um, on a pod that, you know, like he understands it. But when you have two guys of that level of talent, everything else around them is what you try to change before you try to change that, you know, which I get. Um, totally, but he was saying he thinks it's more likely there's like coaching changes and changes to the rest of the roster before either one of those guys even consider getting moved. The thing is, like Brett Brown gone, you think? Yeah, he just said that that is more of a possibility than Embiid or Simmons moving. Uh, He wasn't like specifically saying that he thinks that's happening, but when he got asked the question, do you think that it would be possible for Philly to move either one of these guys? 
he was like, no, when you have talents like that, you try to change everything else before you try to just move yeah. on from one of them. Sorry, so Adam, you were saying. Talking of coaching changes, you've kind of brought some up to me that we haven't discussed at the moment. Do you think Kyra Lawson's addition to the Celtics coaching team has been part of the reason why they're looking so much more cohesive this year? I mean, she's got championship experience from the WNBA. She was one of, she was a great basketball player. Apparently, by all accounts, she's a fantastic developmental coach as well. Do you think her addition to the Celtics has been part of the reason why Jalen and Jason have took such a big step this year? I think there's potential to it, but I have trouble speaking on it because I don't necessarily know her impact with not being there day to day or getting a chance to talk to the guys. Oh about yeah, obviously their thoughts on that. So I mean, I think there's a chance, but I think um, just the culture that the Celtics seem to have going this year, they seem to really enjoy themselves. You know, like Marcus dancing uh, with Jalen and Jason getting super hyped, and the, just the culture that they have, which I think is a combination of everything: the coaching staff. Um, all the guys really making sure to get along and do a lot of team bonding this year. So I, I think that her along with the rest of the Celtics coaching staff and the guys wanting it this year, I mean, I think that, yeah, she probably does deserve some of the credit for the coaching, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just a little rough for me to speak on. I'm just going from, um, yeah, I'm just kind of looking at it from a, if the shoe fits sort of perspective at the moment. I'm definitely going to try and reach out to some people that know more and get a solid impact, a solid input on her personal impact on the team. But it's nice, one, it's nice to see they've got her on the, on the coaching staff because by all accounts, she's meant to be a fantastic basketball mind. And on the other, it just brought, it made me think of it when you were saying change the culture around Simmons and Embiid before you change Simmons and Embiid. Do you think who, I mean, Brett Brown, I don't rate Brett Brown as a coach anyway, to be quite fair. Really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, dude. I don't know if that's just my bias and the fact that I'm so down on Philly, but he's had such talent levels around him over the last two years or so, and he just doesn't seem to be able Nothing to Nothing to show it. for it. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you can say that about Brad too, but Brad's uh, like... I mean, it's the roster construction in Philly to me. Like, I think that those guys, there is reason to believe they can't play together I don't think they they work very well together but the way that it could is if you just had shooters as the rest of the team and for some reason they never have shooting yeah their whole roster construction is very confusing it was something I was going to mention earlier but with Tobias Harris with Al Horford Joel Embiid Simmons you don't have anyone who's just a pure bucket you don't have pure three-point shooting it seems to me that they went out and they just got all the big names that they could that were available and they were worrying about figuring out everything in terms of how they fit together later. And I think it's up to the coach to make that work. Granted, I know you have to do whatever you've got to do with the guys in the locker room. And if they just don't fit together, they don't fit together. But the thing is you the have Celtics, all that time up, man. The Celtics went through this last year. So, you can look over at what's going on in Philly at the moment and be like, well, do you know what? We watched Boston go through this last year and it's almost identical, right? I mean, they've got the names, they've got the expectations on their shoulders now, but they're just really struggling to put it together. I've had people in, I had someone DM me about six weeks ago now saying, do you think it wasn't Kyrie that was the issue? It was Al because since Al's gone to, to fill no, it. yeah, no. I, that was my response. No. <laughs> but it, it's just the fact that obviously he's looked at one plus one equals two. You know what I'm saying? Um, it is tough to watch. I mean, I'm not going to lose any sleep over Philly struggling to figure it out. That's not going to. But in fact, I'm probably going to sleep better 
<laughs> Let's be honest. But it is tough to watch. I mean, Ben Simmons is a fantastic ball player. He, if he could shoot from deep, dude, it would change their dynamics so much. But this is a Celtics podcast, so let's move on. <laughs> Real quick on that, I heard a great quote from, I think it was Hubie Brown. It was one of the guys doing the ESPN broadcast that like this Simmons, things, Simmons thing about him not shooting is like watching a guy walk on water and being like, oh, but he can't swim. I was like, wow, that is a great way to say it because Simmons like, is ridiculous. Is Simmons is ridiculous at basketball. Like, he can't shoot. You're right. That makes a lot of limitations. But that man is absolutely ridiculous on both ends of the ball. I mean, he was easily Philly's best player last night, but that was such an absurd thing to say in a broadcast. I, I, I was speechless when I heard it. I just can't believe that he would just put it that way. Like, I get what he's saying, but... Just come on, man. It, in the league currently where it's at, you need to be able to have a jump shot. That's where the league's going. I mean, yeah, but they're trying to the, – the entire roster construction on Philly is anti-league direction. The league went small. Philly went big. So saying that that's the yeah. way it's going, they're kind of making their own way, and that's cool, dude. Every, there's no point trying to reinvent the wheel. If you feel like you can make more impact going big, when you've got Embiid and Simmons, then maybe you do want to go big. But from the Celtics' perspective, they figured out how to attack a big team last night. They figured out that dribble drive penetration, that hard, fast cuts off ball, opening lanes up for guys like Brown with the ball in his hand is going to be the way that you utilize the Celtics' talent level against a team that big, which is going to help when they're playing a game against like the Bucks and they're up against Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez. They're going to attack them guys similar to how they attacked Horford last night. They're going to pull them out and they're going to drive right past them. Evidently, no one agrees. Yeah, no, I do. I just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about Philly. They got a lot of issues going on, but... I'm saying that the Celtics took some lessons from that game that's going to help them moving forward against other larger teams. Yeah, I think it's... So what do you think those lessons are? I just said, use your speed. Pulled, they're going to be attacking the bigger, slower guys far more because currently, the, up until like the last few weeks, when they've been against bigger teams, they've tried to play the same way they do against everybody else, right? They tried to pass and move and cut. Against Philly last night, there were more... It wasn't ISO plays, but there were a lot more individual dribble drive efforts happening to, to force those reactions off the defense and open up the man. There was a lot of wraparound passes going on. That sort of penetration is going to be much more effective against bigger teams like Milwaukee, like Philly, maybe to a lesser extent the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are just insane. Did you watch them last night? But um, that's the, just little lessons like that, just how to penetrate against a bigger team and force those rotations that wouldn't necessarily happen just off working the ball around on the outside, waiting for a guy to cut and get open. Because that's not going to happen when you're playing against a team with the length of a team like Philly or Milwaukee. So those little lessons on how to attack, how to draw guys out and blow by them and seal them when they're on that, when they're trailing you are going to be huge coming in because this is a young team. So learning them lessons now is going to be huge for the second half of the season. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think kind of, it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it almost sounds like, you know, realizing they are a good enough team that they can play to their own strengths and that is the game plan rather than like in your, of course you have to do variations based on the other team, but you're good enough that 
you just play your own brand of basketball every single night. Yeah, I mean, you worded it better than me. And for that, you should definitely turn on my notifications on Twitter. But <laughs> <laughs> You worded it better than me. But yeah, pretty much. I mean, they, they've got to realize what level of playmaking they have on that roster and how they can utilize that no matter who their opponent is. Being able to blow by guys and pull guys out of the paint is only half the battle because if you can't hit the cutter or you can't blow by your man once he's showing on you, then everything else is null and void because you're, you're getting all of the reactions with none of the end products. Now they can realize that they've got guys like Hayward, Tatum, Brand, Walkout. All of those guys can hit a pocket pass. All of those guys can pull up and jump straight over you. It's took them a while to figure out how to manipulate the opposition defense, but now they're getting there. The, the sky's the limit at the moment. The way these guys are playing is fantastic. So turn on my notifications on Twitter. it's a good closing point (laughs) yeah um, I don't know if you have something else specifically you'd want to focus on but I was thinking of uh, is there is there a move you know we're so close to the deadline I know it's like talked about trades so much is there just like what is the one move that you would want to see you know rather we don't have to get super deep into this I agree I want Bayer (laughs) Lutza I like that as well do you give up the Milwaukee pick? Yes. Yeah. It's the 30th pick in the draft. You yeah, know? I mean, they're at the point now, and uh, the Celtics are at a point now where there just isn't enough roster spots for the amount of draft picks they have. And they've already got rookies that are going to be limited in development time due to the strength of the, the roster, like Romeo Langford being a primary point. I could see Romeo getting moved in the summer simply because he's, he's too far behind the other guys to really have a true shot at developing for the Celtics. So move whatever you need to move. Move the Milwaukee pick. Move. A I, I will counter and say like the Romeo thing's a little unique. Like he had injuries and like, you know, if they were to draft like a Brandon Clark or Matisse Thibel or something like that, like you can get guys that could help in, in that spot in the draft. But they also have a lot of draft picks, you know, having their own and Memphis is, is going to convey this year. Um, it, it is a lot, you know, and like, you just need – I mean, Bielitsa can't play defense. I don't think he's going to be on the floor in your closing lineups, but I don't think that's what you're really looking for. Like, You see, the thing who, is you've got go Shem, Shemi's playing so well coming off the bench, and Shemi and Grant have put, developed such a, a decent partnership over the last couple of weeks that if that continues to grow, who do you give up instead of Shemi? Who becomes your trade bait? To, or you. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's good for Celtics, but I don't think Sacramento are going to bite on that. Well, I don't give a better pick, maybe. Yeah, I don't think they care about the player at all. But I think that uh, I'm pulling it up here. But I'm pretty sure that you need uh, Poirier and someone else in order to make the salary work. Yeah, because Bielitsa <laughs> is making about six, um, and Poirier is two and a half here. I'm assuming you're not moving Cantor or uh, or Tice. You know, with so then you go under the assumption did. that you don't want to move Semi. Who do you move? Is it going to be Romeo? Is, would that even bring the money up? I think it just about do it, right? Uh, Romeo does bring it up for sure, but I mean, I wouldn't give up Romeo for be for two years of Bielitsa. Like I, I think no, Romeo's got thing, a long term. Yeah, the only reason I mention it is because it's been a topic of discussion on a few um, chats that I'm involved in with some people that know their ball where because of how far behind he is the other guys in the rotation, 
and because Celtics are in win win now mode, maybe they do make that dis- maybe they do make that move in order to get that bench scoring and keep Semi, who's become a defensive positive. Yeah, it's maybe. tough. It's tough because Langford's only going to get better with more playing time. And we, we talked about on the last pod too, they've just got a log jam at his position. Everyone else is playing or contributing at some other level higher than his own. So the only way he's going to get better is with more minutes, but how is he going to break True. rotation? Right. But at the same time, I, I think we could say like if Romeo was a, who's a good example, like a Jordan Clarkson right now could definitely get minutes on this team. And I think it's realistic to think that Romeo could develop into that sort of like offensive spark off the bench. You know, like there's six guys on this roster. And then after that, everybody else is kind of a question mark. And I think that's kind of this Bielitsa thing too, is like Shimmy's been good recently, but he's so on and off. Like Bielitsa is shooting 43% from three this year on four attempts. He chucks them from as far as you want to be 47% last month. Like, I, I don't think the Celtics have a knockdown shooter, really. And, I mean, outside of, you know, these top top four guys. And I think just adding that could be, could be helpful in this over Shemi. Like, I, I just think that you need some consistency. And I don't think that Shemi really gives you that. Is, he, is Shemi getting, getting playoff minutes anyways? Like, maybe... Probably, I would imagine, depending on the matchup, but because of the way he plays defense, maybe. Yeah, the whole Giannis thing, I don't know about. Yeah, I'm not even sure how I feel about that one. But, yeah, I mean, there's an argument there, so it's interesting. Like, I, I get kind of not wanting to give up Shemi, and if you include Langford, then you, I, I don't see why you would need to put the Milwaukee pick in there. I think maybe you could do that straight up. Like, or you throw in a second, maybe. Um, there's also, you know, if, if, if it's also the Milwaukee pick plus Shemi that's throwing you off, the Kings have a stupid amount of second round picks. They could throw you like Houston second rounder this year, if that makes a difference to you, something like that. But I mean, so my original question of like, what trade do you want to see happen? You said Bielisa, is it just bench scoring really? I think that's a huge part of it. I think it's bench scoring with size, uh, he doesn't need to be perfect on defense. I mean, Canner's still on the team, so. But I think they need more three-point shooting. So he seems like an immediate, I don't difference maker. Eh, maybe uh, with a team like this and the way it's constructed, they need some three-point shooting somewhere. And I think if you're going to go for it, you go for shooting with size. That's kind of been my my mantra when looking at potential trade targets. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bielitsa is definitely giving you that, and he seems obtainable, I think is another reason here, because obviously, like, Bertans would definitely be a goal, um, but that's just not going to happen, you know, with how ridiculous he's been playing and the um, Washington likely wanting to keep him. So I think a combination of being obtainable, Celtics having a bunch of picks and it filling that hole that you're kind of saying, it, it makes sense to me. You know, we got... What is it? It's on the 6th. We only got about four days left here. So, so I don't that's know. all we're really going to know until then. I mean, the one thing I wanted to say, I was having mic issues then, so sorry. The one thing I did want to say is Kanter's actually been crazily undervalued defensively over the last couple of months. He's actually, the Brad Steve, he's not great. I'm not going to lie and say he's great. He's not 
he's probably just below average, but his defensive impact has been better than what a lot of people will say, simply yeah. because of his hand speed. And um, his lateral quickness isn't great. His rotations aren't great because his hip, Brendan likes to point out he can't move his hips. But he's definitely been a positive for the team. Definitely. No. And that's really why he's still here. And I think that's still why I wouldn't move him in any deal just because he has a specific skill set that is good for this team. And even if he is at times a defensive liability, the way that they're scheming with him and the way that they've got Tice playing, the way they're able to play them together and stagger them as well. You're just not going to be able to find another guy for that money. That's going to offer you more without sacrificing major rebounding. If you're looking for defense, I can tell you I don't have any. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills <laughs> I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for shooters like you. If you let me dunk on you now, that'll be the end of it. If not, I will look for you. That's Cantor's version of Taken right there. I thought that would be a good way to end the uh, podcast. I love it. So you've been listening to the Celtics Pod podcast. Tune in on Tuesday, is it? Yeah, tune in on, is it Tuesday? No, Wednesday. Tune in on Wednesday. I lost my days there to find out whether or not Brendan turned on my Twitter notifications. <laughs> no comment. No comment. I like, I like am halfway debating a Super Bowl comment here, but like part of me worries I say something Niners related and then by the time this is released, the game's already over. That like, means you're not confident, dude. That means you're not. Well, so we're going to end it there. No, I am. Shut Watch yourself. Ooh. <laughs> this is the Super Bowl we're talking about here. Brendan gets aggressive when he's been drinking wine, guys. Drinking wine? I have a coffee cup right here that says, You got this on it. All right. Yeah, you need it's to give that to the nine. <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't say what was in it. It's a good exactly. point. <laughs> gin, gin, baby. Right. Leaving it there, guys. You can catch us again Wednesday. We beat the Sixers. Just so you guys, in case you're still listening right now and you haven't seen the injury report, for tonight's game, tonight being to Monday when you're listening to this episode, Cantat questionable with the hip contusion. Smart questionable with the thigh contusion. Kemba Walker out with left knee soreness. Robert Williams still out with that hip bone edema. That one sucks. So we'll catch you again on Wednesday, y'all. By then we'll know the Super Bowl winners so we can all tweet at Brendan and tell him ha 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 ha. <laughs>